0: You're listening to Podiatry Marketing, conversations
1: on building a successful podiatry practice with Tyson Franklin and Jim McDonald. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, and welcome to this week's episode of Podiatry Marketing. With me today is the one and only, the world famous, I must say, because people are talking about him all the time. It is Big Jim Mack from Canada. How are you doing, Jim?
0: I'm doing fantastic, Tyson. How about yourself?
1: I'm good. People People do ask me, how do you know Big Jim? They just refer to you as Big Jim now. And I said, we've never actually met, but we will be meeting in- This October. This October, we're doing a podiatry marketing live uh, one day workshop, marketing workshop, which will be fun. Details are on podiatrygrowth.com forward slash PML.
0: That's correct. That's where they can find all the details about uh, what's going to go on there in Chicago.
1: So it should be fun. Limited seats. I uh, wouldn't sit on the fence too long or you will get a splinter in your butt and you will regret it. So, Jim, what are we talking about today?
0: Today, we're going to be talking about uh, top five things to learn before starting a private practice. So um, whether you're kind of just, you know, finishing up residency, maybe you're in residency, maybe you're an associate in somebody's practice and you're just trying to figure out, you know, you're kind of thinking about maybe this is an opportunity for you to kind of hang your own shingle and kind of... Uh, Kind of build your own ideal practice. You know, what are five areas that uh, could be really helpful to kind of get going to make sure you, you know, have some experience and you do some learning before you just kind of, you, you can't jump in the, you know, the deep end right away. But um, these are definitely five areas that people should uh, have some proficiency at. Uh, and,
1: you know, you're always kind of learning the, these different things. And I'm glad there's only five things you need to know (laughs) to have your own practice (laughs) well these are more uh topics than
0: than very specific things so yeah yeah, it's a a quick little top five list okay
1: so what's number one
0: so number one is business and financial planning so you know understanding kind of the financial aspects of running a private practice is, is really crucial and i think it's something that you know we talk a little bit about in podiatry school maybe you have a practice management course and I know there's some people that go through residency and spend time in private practices, but you're kind of like, you know, writing copilot or you're maybe there for a month or two and you're kind of learning a little bit, but you're not kind of having to deal with the responsibility of the budgeting. Um, You know, things like the startup costs, you know, getting a, Maybe a loan or something to kind of get your practice started to buy equipment and have a location. You know how do you project? You know income and understand expenses. So really, it's a it's a really important kind of section to kind of just dive into and you know consult with you know financial advisors. You know kind of getting accountants and just really ensuring that your financial plan is both realistic and feasible is really really an important component before you just start your own practice. So so Tyson, when when you started practice, I'm curious to hear like. You Did just dive in right away or how did you kind of learn some of these business and financial aspects off
1: the bat no it's i just winged it um <laughs> no, i'm only joking i didn't when i had my first clinic on the gold coast i had to go to a bank and ask for a loan so this is back in the 80s when they would just any they just give you money just turn turn with a piece of paper and a plan they give you money it's not that day, not that <laughs> way anymore but i still had to put a plan together what was lucky with me is when I was in my final year of uh, at uni, we actually had one business subject and we had to put together a business plan. So I sat down for six months, put this business plan together. And I was the first person at the university, including the business students that put a business plan together, that got a hundred percent for the exam. The, the guy actually said to me, I, I, I think you're going down the wrong path. Sure you want to be a podiatrist? You want to get involved in business? I went, no, not really. I said, I enjoy business, but I want to be a podiatrist. So I had put together a very extensive business plan on everything I was going to do, the financials, marketing. But what was really funny, I got 100% for this thing. I look back, and I still have the project. I still have a copy of it. I look back on it, and I go, God, it was rubbish. <laughs> but looking at it from someone who's actually owned a business, looking back on the plan, I'm going, it was okay, but geez, it wasn't really good. But, but I was being marked by people at the university who I don't think had ever had a business. So in theory, it looked fantastic, and there's a big difference between theory and practically putting something together. But it all starts with the plan. If I hadn't had the plan to start with, I wouldn't have had something at least to just kickstart what it was I was doing.
0: Yeah, I think it's important, you know. Like, like you said, like uh, was the Mike Tyson quote, "Is like you know everybody feels like they're the champ they get pun- you know everybody, everybody, everyone has a plan,
1: plan until they get punched get in the p- face. Punched in the
0: face. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, but at least you have that plan to kind of like have a general idea of what you're getting into, right? I think sometimes whether it be, you know, in podiatry school or you're in residency, and you're not really having to be responsible for, you know, that side of the the business of, of medicine. Uh, but by kind of going through the exercise of making a plan and understanding the different components of what's what's involved, you'll at least have a general idea and you can kind of adapt and adjust to kind of like that that punch in the face once reality hits you. But um, I think that's a, it's a really important thing that just kind of Go through that exercise at some point to really feel like you know what you're getting yourself into in a way.
1: Well, I think it's a it's a starting point. I think the banks gave me the money or loaned me the money in the first place to open up my business. They wouldn't have given that to me if I hadn't put the plan together. Now, I put the plan together. I was at uni, had no idea what I was doing, but I put the plan together. But the bank could see that if you're prepared to put that much time and effort into that, then you're probably prepared to do the, do the bloody work to actually... Make your business a success. So I think it's that's one aspect of having a business and financial plan is that you know if you put that much time into that, then you're probably prepared to put the time to actually have a successful business. Yeah,
0: you know, that's 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 really that's really key there. I think also it's important to realize that you know I think sometimes you're starting practice too. You want to kind of like save as much money as possible. Oh like, yeah. You know, I think there's uh, and there's there's ways to. Uh, well, I think that is important. I think you know, surrounding yourselves with like uh, intelligent and kind of uh, experienced accountants and other people to kind of help shepherd you through this process, um, making sure you know who those experts in your local area are and that they work with other healthcare providers. Um, they're going to be people that are. maybe can give you a little bit of an upfront break sometimes because they know that you're just getting into practice but this could be a long term you know like you want to build positive long-term relationships with your patients you also can build long-term positive um relationships with accountants to make sure you're doing your taxes properly and accounting is all in order Uh, maybe it's you know lawyer for incorporation you know surrounding yourself with other professionals that know these areas better than you do, I think is a really important component too, to getting started. And like I said, you don't have to go after the most expensive uh, person in town, but you know, maybe it's someone that is kind of in that medical niche that knows um, kind of, that is kind of gone through with other people in the past it can be a really helpful way to get, you know, maybe it's just information in the beginning, but also services to make sure that um, you're, you're, you're focused on kind of your, your core area of strengths.
1: Well, a good way that you can also use this in your marketing is you have a look at, yeah, you know, the one or two most successful, say, dietitians in your town, the one or two most successful physiotherapists, the two, say, biggest medical centres or doctor's clinics, our two biggest chiropractors, go and have a meeting with them. And when you have the meeting with them, just say, look, I just wanted a meeting with you. I just want to find out if you could have any advice on who's your accountant, who's your financial planner, because I noticed that your business is going really well, so you must have a good accountant. I'd really love your advice on what I should do. Anyone that's done well in business loves helping other people in business who are just starting out, especially if they're not a competitor in any way. The amount of podiatrists I used to have to just rock up to my clinic, who'd ring up and say, oh, I'm in town, can I come and visit your clinic? i go, yeah, I don't have a problem. And I'd openly share everything with them.
0: No, that, that's a great it's a great point is a great way to kind of open up a conversation with people. You know, like some people say, Oh, I don't like networking. Oh, I don't like marketing. Suck it up. You say like <laughs> but like this is a great this is the great like opener, this is a great line if you're feeling uncomfortable about it, to say, Hey, like you're gonna learn some good information for yourself. And you're I'm sure like you said, they're gonna love telling you about who they use, you know, what you know, you know, who they use for their accounting or some of their legal stuff. Um, it can be a great way to network with other people in your local area. So um, so that, that that's a great way to kind of wrap up that kind of financial aspects of things.
1: I know like my accountant is also my brother-in-law's accountant, is also my brother's accountant. <laughs> so, and it's just through word of mouth because they'd say to me, they've asked me, they knew that I was doing well in business, who's your accountant, Tyson? And I'd tell them. And then once they started using them, they went and had a meeting with them and now they use them. It would work exactly the same way with other health professionals you know. Talk to them about who they use because they must be getting some good advice somewhere. And feed, feed off of that same advice and they've already got some experience in healthcare, then they're gonna be able to help you with your taxes as well. For sure. Okay, what is number two?
0: Yeah, so number two is, I uh, talked about it a little bit already, but uh, legal and regulatory requirements for where you wanna practice. And you know, I think uh, you know as you're as you're kinda of getting into private practice, maybe you're gonna wanna stay in the area where we are an associate or maybe wanna move back to your hometown. It's really important that you kind of familiar yourself with the laws and regulations governing uh, your podiatry practice in that region. Uh, for example, in the U.S., there's going to be different scopes of practice uh, depending on what state you're in. So maybe you went to some fancy residency where you did big boy uh, or big girl, um, <laughs> you know, ankle reconstructive stuff. You're throwing frames on people, or you know, and you want to do that in, in your professional life. Um, you gotta look and see to make sure that's legal and whatever you know wherever you're gonna practice that if it's if you want to practice in idaho you have to know what the scope of practice is in idaho or if you're gonna practice in arizona you need to know that so it's really important to kind of obtain um the necessary licenses permits and certifications as well because um, if you don't know the kind of rules um regarding that or you don't know how medical billing coding hipaa compliance and malpractice insurance work you're gonna kind of run into issues. And um, so it's really important to, as much as it's not exciting, and it's probably gonna be kind of tedious to work through some of these different things. Um, There can be really bad uh, ramifications for, like I said, setting a practice in the wrong state, or uh, not understanding what, what kind of information you can share and not share, you know, waiver, HIPAA compliance waivers in the US. And making sure you're adequately you know, covered with malpractice insurance. So you know, those kind of boxes
1: to check are super important when starting a private practice. Geez, I'm glad we don't have to worry about that over here. In Australia, <laughs> it's all the same rules. We're all covered by the same rules. Move from state That's to nice. state doesn't really make too much difference. There's probably a few rules that might be just state rules that got nothing to do with podiatry in general. They're just rules in general. But right. as far as working as a podiatrist goes from one state to another state, oh, I'd say it's not much really changes, which is good. Yeah, I think things
0: are starting to kind of get more um, more unified as far as what the scope of practice is in different U.S. states. Uh, but can you go from,
1: like in the states, if you were qualified in New York, can you just go to Arizona and just start working, or do you have to register in each state?
0: You would probably have to pass a, a like a board licensing exam. Uh, so you like there probably be an exam you have to take, or, you know, you're there, like I said, there's also like the scope of practice, right? Like maybe they vary on what you can and can't do. So there's different types of you know, definitely loopholes, you know, and sometimes different states would have maybe like joint, um, similar states might have a similar licensing procedure, but yeah, usually you have to get a license in each of the different states you want to practice in.
1: Yeah. Well, we'd have to worry about that here, but you, but you get, <laughs> you registered in Australia, you move it from, from one state to another. Yep, don't have to sneak over the border or do anything. Uh, the joys of living in the United States, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't always that way. When I first graduated, I worked on the Gold Coast, which where I was south put, was like an hour away from the border. And so I used to do some work for a friend just over the border. So I had to be registered in both states to be able to work in the other state. But right. then it just became a national registration so you didn't have to worry about it, which just makes life so much easier. I can imagine. Okay, so what's uh, what's number three? So Number three
0: is practice management. Uh, obviously, being a student or a resident, you're kind of the you're the one taking the orders. You're the one taking the call. You're the ones doing what people tell you to do. Uh, but when you're running your own practice, uh, you know you're gonna have uh, you have to manage staff. You're gonna to hire staff. You're gonna to kind of deal with like a you know initially help getting set up your patient scheduling. You know, how to how does billing work? Um, Just knowing these things, and then obviously hiring people to do some of these things is really, really important. So, you want to consider investing in, you know, obviously practice management software. Learning about different types of practice management software so you can improve kind of your efficiency and how you're seeing people. And you also uh, need to really, like I said, you're gonna have to hire folks. So, like uh, you know, that's not that's a skill set. You know, maybe you have a mentor uh, that you can kind of lean on, or someone maybe uh, one of your attendings from your residency days can kind of help you give you some advice or you, know, you can talk to someone like a podiatry business coach, like, I don't know, Tyson Franklin, for example, give mm-hmm. you some ideas about how to go along hiring an you know, associate or some staff, um, which stuff to outsource, you know, whether it be billing or your marketing um, to other professionals. So there's a lot to kind of decide when uh, taking on the practice management aspects of your clinic.
1: Yeah. And this simple things. I had someone send me an email uh, not too long ago and was just asking, how do you know it, when it's time to employ another podiatrist, and I said, it's a "Really good question." I said, and he, and I explained to him, "This is the formula I would use if I was looking at employing another podiatrist." And these are all things I take into account leading up to that before I sort of work through that formula. So that's the whole thing about managing your practice the right way. Is if you don't know what to do, is you need to get help because if you just if you just try and work through it yourself, it just takes longer and it ends up costing you more money to make mistakes and then have to fix them up.
0: Yeah, for sure. You just have to, <laughs> that's well put, because
1: yeah, if you're not doing that, uh, you're going to run into big time issues. So, and uh, number four, or oh, anything else on practice management that you wanted to um, touch on? No. It's a big area. Practice of... management's a huge, <laughs> a huge, huge area. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to
0: have multiple podcasts about that in the future. So, uh, no, we'll skip over to number four, and that's networking and referral relationships so oh, i love networking yeah and, and i love it as well Never um, used to though. So it's, <laughs> yeah but uh you really need to like develop these relationships with both you know healthcare professionals and non-healthcare professionals in your local community uh you know whether this be the local running shoe store the primary care physician other specialists you know, hospital administrators uh someone at your local you know, ymca or your community center your, your gym Um, building these relationships over time is going to lead to kind of a valuable, uh, you know, these are going to be valuable referral sources. Um, Maybe it's not directly sending patients. Maybe it's, you know, doing collaborations where you're helping educate the local community, but it's going to really kind of become a support, you know, as you're building up your private practice and you want to have this network of folks you can kind of rely on and kind of grow with. And, and, you know, obviously it's, a, you know, kind of create win-win situations with people and having, these, you know, uh, these networking opportunities and these relationships you're building, both, like I said, in the healthcare and non-healthcare sector in your local community, really, really um, can benefit your practice long-term.
1: And it's also creating an amazing referral network within the profession itself. Uh, yeah. I've often spoken about telling people, don't dig the well when you're thirsty. Dig the well before you need the water. And a lot of times, podiatrists may get themselves in trouble or... They desperately need a podiatrist or they need someone to help them out, yet they've, they have no networking, they have no network of other podiatrists that are friends. They've just been 100% solo, had blinkers on, done their own thing, and all of a sudden they get themselves in trouble and then they're reaching out to people saying, oh, can somebody please help me? And you're like, well, no, we don't even know you. Whereas if you dig the world, create these relationships, you get yourself in strife, there'll be a lot of people that put their hand up and just say, do you need a hand? Yeah, I'll help. It. Especially if you're in a bigger town where there's a lot of podiatrists around you. If you get in strife, they if they'll pitch in and help you as as best they can.
0: I think that's a great point. I think there there is this kind of uh you know,
1: kind of a healthy competition between podiatrists and
0: community, but also a real like community like mindedness of those podiatrists uh, as far as finding uh, each other and kind of helping each other out. I think there was an example of this in I think it was in New Jersey, New York, a guy by the name of Dr. Rob Condonello like he uh developed cancer and uh a lot of other podiatrists in the local area pitched in to help him mm. maintain his practice see his patients while he was undergoing chemo and treatment for his cancer um and it's one of those things where like you know yeah it's it's business and sometimes it can be feel a little competitive at times but you know we're all kind of trying to help people uh, live their best lives and you know by having kind of you know we've talked about this in the past, but maybe you like to do sports medicine and then and, and like I like to do diabetic foot wounds, right? So
1: there's ways of finding
0: kind of uh, common ground and helping each other out, even within the same
1: profession, uh, even the local same local area. But it's even if you know people that, yeah, I, I know if you're in a smaller town, it's really hard if you've only got, say three or four podiatrists in that town and you're not overly friendly with each other for whatever reason, then it's harder to draw, draw upon that. But still, yeah, you need to go to events, you need to be at different things and create networks with people outside of the, you know, like outside of your local area. Because I know right now, there's a lot of podiatrists that own some really good businesses, say, within Queensland. I know a lot of the people that are the business owners don't really work that much as a podiatrist anymore themselves. So there's a lot of podiatrists that are sitting there with idle hours who could quite easily, if you were desperate for three days a week, for, say, two or three weeks, that you could probably phone them up and say, is there any chance I could fly you to my area? for two or three days a week for three weeks to help me out. And I'm sure if you were really friendly with them, they would put their hand up and say yes. So that's that's the that's digging the well before you need the water. Don't wait until you're desperate and say, hey Tyson, can you come and work in my clinic for three days? I don't even know who you are. Yeah. So there you go. All the people who know who I am now <laughs> who I'm friends with go, well actually we thinking you're going to Bali for a week. Okay, so what is the fifth and final of your top five things to learn before starting a private practice.
0: Well, number five is marketing and patient acquisition. So, you know, we talk a lot about this on the podcast. Probably, um, you know, every single week we're talking about some form of this. But you know, attracting and retaining patients, you know, is essential for success uh, of a private practice. There's no getting around that. I think, especially as you know, evergreen marketing tactics and also the different strategies and online uh, marketing gets bigger and bigger. Uh, trying to you know create visibility for who you are and the care you want to provide is is immensely important to make sure that you're building the type of practice that you want to have. So developing a marketing plan that targets your ideal patient population and emphasizes the unique benefits of your practice, you know that's huge. And you know, this can include like I said, kind of evergreen marketing strategies, online advertising, social media, community outreach. You know, kind of hitting the pavement. You know, talking to other practices. Uh, you know, creating a strong online presence—you know, obviously—is kind of in vogue, and that's what I do, you know, with with my work. But you know, it's through that website and, and through patient reviews and through uh, you know marketing your practice how you're going to you know gain and retain those patients. So, um, especially when you're a private practice, you need to kind of be different than somebody else. And mm. marketing and and being visible for that expertise or the differentiation is hugely important. So, I think that's uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, but you know, obviously, you want to kind of be a
1: marketing leader in your local area well i think if everyone's got up to this particular episode episode 83 i would assume they're already doing some marketing already they wouldn't have got this far in the podcast if (laughs) if they weren't so i think if they went back and took one idea away from every single episode leading up to this one then their marketing and patient acquisition should be going along uh, pretty well but there would be people who are listening to this who don't have a practice yet, who are thinking about it, which is why this particular uh, topic is important.
0: Yeah, everyone's going to start somewhere. And I think even people that have their own private practice, right? I think these five topics are things to kind of revisit every every so often, right? Because they're they're not static things like you talked about with your experience, kind of jumping from state to state in Australia. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you're out of the loop, like or you're just, you know, you're not kind of keeping up to date with what's going on in different aspects of your practice. Um, going to fall behind so i think it is really important that yes this is kind of for those people just getting started or thinking about it or an associate somewhere but you know these five topics and these five areas are hugely important for people in practice to keep refining
1: and improving on as well so what because what you're saying is okay there's going to be people who already in practice now and if they haven't sat down and really like even their business done a business plan if they've just been going month by month and they're thinking well, I haven't really sat down and planned out where I want to see the business in 12 months, two years, three years, yeah, five years. And I must admit, I find it difficult to see five years ahead. I was always just a 12-month planner. I can see 12 months. See beyond 12 months, I don't know, the world is just too crazy. Not not crazy in a bad way, but the, the world just moves so fast that I think you, you can have a vision for three to five years. But when it comes to planning, I used to always like 12 months.
0: Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. I think as long as you're that 12 months and you have a general kind of like, you know, what, what's the path towards your ideal practice, right? Are you walking down that path? And then you're, if you have a 12 month plan to kind of continue to improve, um, and do more of the work that you love, fantastic. Uh, but I think it is, it is some self-reflection and it is is kind of improving these diff- these five different areas that will help people kind of move down that, that path.
1: Yeah. When I had my podiatry business, I would have a, I had a five year sort of plan. But I used more of a timeline because I knew if I just, when I was renting somewhere, if I just signed a lease, that it was a five-year lease. So if it was 2023 now, I could write 2023 here and then I would write 2028. So I knew that's when the lease ended. And then I would break it into five sections. And then those five sections, I would put other milestones in there that I knew were going to be happening, here, you know, adversaries of businesses. But then I would focus on my each twelve months as I went along that actual timeline, and it's surprising how fast five years goes too. Yeah,
0: time flies, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, don't ever tell your story. I know we're <laughs> about to wrap up. I've always got heaps of stories. Had a story where I had a lease, and we we had a five year lease on this building, and then we signed up for another five years. And I went, you know, we need to buy our own building." I said, "That's it. Yeah, with what we're paying in rent, I'm sure we could we could buy somewhere, and the repayments would be cheaper, which it was." Anyway, so I said to the landlord, because I didn't get on with the landlord very well at the time, we're leaving. And I told him why, and and yep, not a problem. He said, okay, fine, you're out of here. Yeah, we're leaving. I couldn't find anywhere. <laughs> could not, <laughs> could, don't matter where we looked, I couldn't find anywhere. So I had to go back and go, oh, yeah, you didn't really take that. You didn't take this seriously, did you, some of those things? I said, you know, I was just kidding. I need an extra 12 months. (laughs) So he he gave (laughs) us the 12 months. But he said, if you do not sign another lease of five years before this 12 months finishes, that's it. You're not coming back. So luckily we found somewhere. And I get on with him now, too, So which is fine. (laughs) But that was was the whole thing about what I was doing. I was doing that whole Viking thing where, you know, with the Vikings, when they went into battle, they'd go over the bridge, burn the bridge, so there was no turning back. Well, that's, that's what I did. I burnt the bridge with my landlord that's it. Now I have to find somewhere no, I couldn't find anywhere so live and learn mistakes we make so anything yeah. else you got any stories you want to you want to finish up on Jim? I've got
0: no like fire or burning bridges stories to share tonight, but uh no, no, I think that's that's a good kind of recap of uh what we talked about, but no, I think. Just looking forward to October when uh, you and I get together. Um, you know, everyone's Everyone listening to the podcast, it definitely is not something you want to miss out on. We're, ha- we're kind of hoping for around uh, 30 people or so, 30, 30 seats available. So you know, we'd be happy to uh, have you in Chicago with us uh, for this marketing workshop and really looking forward to it, Tyson.
1: Oh, and if anyone's not in America, but they're looking for an excuse to travel to America in October, then here's your excuse. Here's your reason that you can fly all the way to America, go to this event in October, and then go and have a holiday and do whatever you want and then fly back (laughs) again. And you can write off part of your airfares and part of your accommodation and everything. To me, in October is a fantastic time to be in the States. I go every year, have been for well over a decade. I go the same time every year because in certain parts it's cool but not freezing, and in other parts it's still really nice. So... Yeah, if you're thinking about traveling over to America, you're looking for an excuse, come and spend a day with Jim and I. And then we're actually going to be doing something a little bit special on the Sunday for the people that actually do register, but we'll tell them once they register, then we'll tell them what's happened on Sunday. That's a like a plan, Tyson. Ooh, It's not a barbecue. Well, it might be a <laughs> barbecue, but no. Okay, Jim, <laughs> I'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds great, Tyson. Okay, Find bye. It. Thanks for listening to Dietary Marketing with Tyson Franklin and Jim
0: McDonald. Subscribe and learn more at Podiatry Marketing. That's the website address, podiatry.marketing.